Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. This I'm once again joined by my co-host Dylan Hughes. Dylan, the Super Bowl was this week, and we were both terribly wrong in our predictions. That's not what I want to know about. You uh, before I before I ask my question, you did watch the game, correct? I was close to exiting the premises, but I I stuck through to the end or close to the end at least. Okay, so then you, I think you'll be qualified to answer my question. How did you like the weekend's halftime show? Okay, here's the thing. And watching watching that show with two old people, as in my parents, uh, love them very much, but they are very set in their ways. And I just constantly was hearing chirping about how dumb the things he was doing were. Listen, okay, he's a great musician, and that's what I'm there for. Like, I don't care about the shining lights and all this and all the other stuff. So I don't really care. And I have never cared about that. It's you can do the best thing ever, or the worst thing ever. It doesn't really matter to me because I'm there for the music. And I like the weekend as a musician, so I don't really care about the other stuff. I mean, people want to talk about like all the people he brought on the field, and I don't know. I thought it was fine. I thought when he was in that like gold room kind of spinning around, I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know. It was kind of unique. So I I just don't really have expectations for these kind of things, so I don't care either way. That's an incredibly fair way to look at it. Listen, all right, The Weeknd is my favorite artist, so I'm already coming in incredibly biased. All right, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to see him perform. I, I've been to two, of, I went to two of his shows in the Starboy tour, you know, well, not the same tour. There, He did one show in Chicago, and then the second go around, he did a show in Indianapolis. So I'm like, ooh, I got, I have to go to that one if it's in the city that I'm currently in. But listen, I'm, you're talking to an incredibly biased person. I loved it though. I had such a fun time during that show. And especially when he was going through his, uh, you know, he played house of balloons with the marching band. Like you had to be a real diehard to know what he was doing there. But you know, I, I was happy with it. I was happy with the Dylan Hughes, you know, and I was happy he played earned it because to me, that's like kind of an OG weekend song. And for a long time, it was one of the few I had on my, on my, like my iPhone or whatever. And I was excited because I didn't think he was going to play. He waited until basically the end. I mean, you knew he was going to close with blinding lights. Like that was very easy to anticipate, but I was happy he put earned it in there. So that's, that's my little two cents on it. I could go for hours about the weekend, but we are not here to do that, folks. We are not here to do that. So um, a reminder for the week, our teams were the Chicago Bulls, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the world-famous Los Angeles Lakers. So before we get into that, I did prepare an injury report, and I did want to say some things about the goings-on of last week. Um, I'll just power through the injury report, and if you have anything to add, um, well, I'll just I'll go to you after the injury report, but DeAndre Hunter had surgery on his meniscus on Monday and he'll, according to Chris Kirshner of the athletic, he'll be out for seven to 10 weeks. So mm. that's going to, that's not fun. So, you know, I hope he has a speedy recovery because Hunter was playing really well this year. Um, in the first half or 
right at the beginning of the third quarter of one of the games we were watching this week, Lowry Markinen went out with a shoulder injury and he'll be out for two to four weeks. Um, Larry Nance broke his finger. He'll be back in four weeks. Um, this all feels like a lot of guys we've just spent a lot of time talking about. Christian Wood, ankle injury, and he'll be out indefinitely. Aaron Gordon has an ankle injury. He'll be out till March. And then Mike Conley has a hamstring injury. He'll be out indefinitely, although that's looking more... The more I look at it, that looks more like day-to-day. But they have played a few games without Conley on this little stretch that they've been on. So, Dylan, um, I feel really bad because I feel like we jinxed Christian Wood. He... He tweaked his ankle, the like game. Literally, I think it was right while we were recording. So I'm not going to say it's our fault, but I, I do feel bad for Jinx and the poor guy. You know, like 80% of that list you named off, we talked about in the past few weeks. So um, I'm kind of scared about continuing this pod. And I think we're we're tearing the league down one, one week at a time. But yeah, I mean, the DeAndre Hunter one sucks because Atlanta has been <laughs> – they have not had good injury luck this year. I mean, whenever one guy comes back, another one goes out. And they really haven't been – I don't think they've had a single game this year where they've been fully healthy. So, it's been tough. Like, we've we've talked about them a lot, and we've had great expectations for them. So, it sucks that they've been going through this. But they're young, and, you know, maybe by the end of the season they'll be healthy. And they're in the East after all, so they only need a few weeks of healthy play to kind of make a run. So, that's – good at least and obviously Christian Wood I mean the amount of saliva we produced salivating over him last week was off the charts and hopefully he gets back soon because that dude's on a tear and he's I mean he's probably going to be an all-star or I mean he should be at least so you know hopefully he's healthy soon yeah, no doubt. Um, hope they hope these guys all get you know back to full health because the, all these guys that I listed are very fun players. You know, players that I take deep joy in watching. So that sucks. I do want to talk about. So okay, I want to talk about what happened in Brooklyn last Friday. Or actually, I don't remember where they were playing. But basically, what happened was if you missed it, Kevin Durant was you know before the game they reported that he was around you know a compromised individual and that he wasn't going to be playing. And then a couple minutes into the game, he comes in and he plays and he plays about 20 minutes, right? That's not a small amount of time, 20 minutes on an NBA floor. That's like almost half the game. And he comes in and he plays 20 minutes and they pull him out of the game. And listen, all right. I told you, Dylan, I was going to go off in the league. They said they pulled him for the greater good of like the game. Some, some like equivalent of that. Right. And it's like, listen, you can't have it both ways, all right? You can't be going for good PR and strictly for the money. <laughs> you have you have to choose. And I don't care if you're going strictly for the money. Why else are you having an all-star game? Why else are you forcing the players to start on December 22nd instead of MLK Day, which would have made more sense for like LeBron and Jokic, right? I get it. I don't care that you're going strictly for money, but just tell me that you're going strictly for money. Don't go for optics. I don't give a shit about your optics, okay? I don't care how you look. I would rather you be the league that just says, fuck it. We're going for money and be straightforward about it. The NFL does it. MLB does it. Their fans don't seem to care. So why do you think we wouldn't care? Right? Like I'm just tired of the NBA playing this optics game, Dylan, because I'm sick with the holier than now bullshit. Like the, NBA acts like they're so much better than these other sports leagues. They're not. They don't give a shit, like, just like the other leagues don't. But they're like, oh, we're such a player's league. Oh, we're such a player's league. You're not. You're LeBron's league. And even LeBron is speaking out against you because of the All-Star game. Again, I don't care that you're having an All-Star game. But don't 
paint this as like, oh, we're, you know, we're helping historically black colleges and universities. If you wanted to do that, just write a fucking check. You don't need to have an all-star game. Like, come on now. You are just trying to come up with reasons to act like you're purer than the other sports. And you're, I'm sorry that like, you can't be naive and think that the NBA is purer than the other sports. You just can't. Yes. They have taken some good stance. All right. A lot of other leagues would have pressured, you know, for Tita to fire Maury last year. Right. Like, I feel like if that happened in the NFL, you know, Maury probably would have been fired. If you know, Donald Sterling situation, hats off to you. But two examples and like <laughs> those are the two glaring ones. And yes, obviously they've done good stuff, but you can't act like during this situation when you're transparently doing things for money, you can't pass it off like you're doing things for, you know, the good of humanity. You don't give a fuck about humanity. And I, Dylan, I'm sorry for like <laughs> the going crazy part of it, but I'm just sick of the NBA acting like they're holier than thou. They're not holier than thou. And by the way, we can probably both agree with this. David Stern was awful at the end of his term, but he would be handling this situation so much better than Silver would be right now. It's not even close. And I just, I'm just really sick of the holier than thou bullshit. Like you're not better than the NFL. I'm sorry. Like in any way, shape or form. Yes. You might have better, you know, PR points. You are the woke league, but what does that actually earn you? <laughs> Like, what are you doing? Like, how many people consider themselves woke, right? I just, it just frustrates me, Dylan, because I love this game so much. And I don't want the NBA to fuck themselves over some, you know, attempt for good PR. You know, I think, I think it's funny you brought up the China situation and Maury, because I think that was the true showing of the, that the league doesn't really care about what's actually happening. And and listen, I'm not someone to shit on people a lot, but the way that the way that LeBron and James Harden respond to that situation too, it just shows like and again, I'm I'm not going to judge you like but they they responded their reaction was very money oriented. And whether the league does comes out in blind colors like those two players did in that instance and says it. I mean, we all saw from that China situation what what's really happening. Daryl Morey put his basically put his job on the line and luckily because I and if he hadn't had as much success as he had and much respect around the league as he had, he probably would have been fired or not rehired this season. So, you know, but he he put his neck out there to comment on a situation that is very pressing and that we don't talk a lot about in a lot in America because it's foreign affairs. We're so focused on our own issues, which, you know, is understandable, but that, that instance really show what the league is really about. And this instance with Durant is another one. Like they, they go out of their way to posture and to pander to people to act like they're so involved in these social causes and really doing the best for people. But, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, actions speak louder than words. And the All-Star game is just another thing. Like, the, that's just a small example of the, the fact that they don't really care about coronavirus. I mean, there's, there's so many instances that they've proven this season that they care about recovering financial losses. And... It seems like every opportunity they get, they make a mistake and they always have a, a PR statement prepared to back themselves up. 
But the longer this stuff happens, the more we're going to start to realize what's up. And again, like you mentioned, the MLB and NFL, they don't really care. And I think everyone's gotten to the point where they don't care either. Like, we know what they do. We don't like that they do the things they do all the time. But we've just accepted it because that's who they are, and that's that's how it's going to be. And the NBA definitely takes this holier-than-thou stance where they're the best league ever. And, you know, they have – they probably have the broadest minority, uh, you know, fan group than any other sport. And – I think a lot of the time they try to pander to that and, and act like, you know, they they really care about the issues that are affecting them and, and things like that. And their actions just prove otherwise. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch because Adam Silver, I think for the first, and it's not the first time in his career he's taken backlash, but it seems like the longer he's in office, it just keeps building up and building up. So it's, you know, it's not going to take long. I mean, look at the other two guys, Goodell and Manfred. Those guys are hated. And Adam Silver has been liked for a while, but I think slowly but surely he's probably going to end up in that same group. Like, no commissioner – commissioners are meant to serve the owners, right? I wouldn't mind if he was transparently for the owners. But you can't – again, you can't have it both ways. You can't – you're a commissioner of for the owners. You aren't working for the players. And – Adam Silver makes it seem like, you know, he gives a high flying fuck about the players and he doesn't, he can't, that's not his job. You know, it's the same reason why you can't get mad at Goodell. You know, Goodell has done some horrible, <laughs> horrible, um, mis abuses of power, but including the Ray Rice situation where he was the arbitrator in his own case, <laughs> but like you can't, you just can't have it both ways. And the NBA is, very much having trying to have it both ways and it just pisses me off because i love this league but people like i think what people respect like they don't like it but they respect it about goodell and they respect it about manfred is that they're very clearly what they want right they're very like manfred is very clearly for the owners i think manfred I, i i don't think people would like manfred but people you know i think people can appreciate what goodell is goodell's been like all things considered pretty good for the nfl and i just think i don't know i wish i wish silver was more like stern and i wish he was more like goodell and because again so in the godfather right they complain that tom hagan's not a wartime consigliere and I think that Adam Silver might be the same. During times of peace, you might you would love to have Adam Silver around. But during this, I mean, David Stern is built for this. Or was. May he rest in peace. But I don't know. I just it makes me mad because I care about nothing more than I care about this sport. This is this sport, you know, ball is life, you know, it's a cliche. But I it's for me it's true. I love basketball. I love nothing more than and I love nothing more than the NBA. And I just hate that they're fucking, you know, again, if they were being transparent, people hate hypocrites. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say. They hate hypocrites because, and especially now with Twitter, right? Like people love nothing more than exposing hypocrisy. And right now, Adam Silver is being a hypocrite, plain and simple. And he deserves every bit of flack that he's receiving. And I don't feel bad for giving him flack right now. He is, you know, 
again, just trying to have it both ways. You're going to end up looking like a hypocrite one way or another. And right now he is looking 100% like a hypocrite. Yeah, and at some point he's going to have to put – he's going to have to plant his stake on one side or the other because, I mean, the All-Star game is a great example. Like that that's an instance where he's clearly basically throwing the players under the bus. And if you want to be that guy, be that guy. But don't don't come out the next time something happens. And, and the Kevin Durant thing is really another, where he's he's basically throwing the players under the bus. And that you know that's just the next time you know the next time it happens, he's really he's gonna have to face what comes to him, and he's faced a lot of it already. But the more these things happen the more it's just going to expose what he's really about. And again, he's doing his job. He's serving the owners, like you said. So you can't really blame him too much for doing that. Obviously, you can criticize it, but again, it you know it's, it's part of the job and he gets paid a lot of money to do it. But he's going to have to – he's going to have to start showing what he – what side he's really on here because you can't have it both ways. Where I – I just want to close with one last thing. All right. And this is from a guy that never, ever talks. Like this guy's whole reputation is that he doesn't talk. I'm going to give you the quote and then I'm going to tell you who it is. It is what it is at this point. We all know why we're playing it. There's money on the line. Just putting money over health right now. And I don't know if you've heard this quote, but for the listeners, who delivered that quote? It was Kawhi Leonard. All right. We're talking about like Kawhi never says shit. And if he's saying this, I, I just think there's a massive problem. And Dylan, I think we can both agree. There's no way if Kawhi is saying something about this, there's no way we can top it. Yeah, I mean, Kawhi is very cut and dry with his answers, and I think he's opened up a little bit. But, I mean, I think he, he recognizes that he has a voice. And I think uh, as, as the, the type of player he is, as one of the best in the league, you know, I don't know if he felt the pressure on himself or from others to speak out about it, but you know, again, like you said, if if a guy like that is really taking a strong stance on something, then you know it's a big deal. Yeah. Again, Kawhi is practically mute. <laughs> so not, not practically, he talks. Like you see him, he's very. I think the reputation is a little overblown just because he doesn't talk to media and people. Media people don't like when you don't talk to them, but. I feel like Kawhi, you know, he speaks for himself, right? Like he's not going to come out and say something he doesn't believe because if he's saying something, he has to believe it. So I'm going to let Kawhi have the last word on that point. And you, um, thank you. You helped me. You helped me say what I wanted to say better than I said it. So I appreciate that Dylan. Um, Before we move on to our teams, our teams for next week, we're going to be doing the Boston Celtics, the Golden State Warriors and the Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, the Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors, Minnesota Timberwolves, and that should be a, that should be an exciting week, especially since Steph Curry is on fire right now. But this week, this week, Dylan Hughes, we did not have a bad week, and I ordered the roster, I ordered the teams that we're going to talk about in the way that I figured you want to talk about them. So I'm not even going to let you choose because our first team is the Los Angeles Lakers. Was I right? And this was the first team you wanted to talk about. <laughs> Yes, it was. <laughs> I know you want to do 
you want to talk about the team you want to talk about least first to get them out of the way. So I, I've yep. learned you. So the Lakers are currently on a six game winning streak. They came into the week having won two games in a row and they the, blew out the Denver Nuggets 114 to 93. They and then the rest of the week was overtime games, 135 to 129 and double overtime to the Pistons, 119 to 112 against the Oklahoma City Thunder in overtime. And then last night, 114 to 113 in overtime. The Lakers are currently 20 and 6. They are second in the Western Conference. Dylan, um, we don't need to talk about LeBron. Anthony Davis barely played this week, and he the, both of them are coasting. How do you feel about the rest of the Lakers roster? You know, I feel pretty good about it. This, you know, last year we criticized these, these, the group of third guys. It was just we kept talking about how they needed a third guy and their response to that, because they obviously listened to our criticism was everyone else is the third guy. So in the playoffs, you know, one game, it was Ray on Rondo. The other game, it was Markeith Morris. The next game, it was Kuzma. It, they had all these different guys stepping up and it obviously worked for them. And this year has been somewhat the same, but they have Dennis Schroeder now. And Dennis Schroeder has not consistently been that third level type of guy. But one of the things I appreciate about this roster and the reason why he's not consistently that guy is because they are a very go with the flow type of team. Just watching them, I think they, and and this is why I think they're going to go far again, because obviously that's just a crazy hot take that the Lakers are going to go far this year in the playoffs, but they are so smart in how they find shots. So the first Thunder game they played where they went to overtime in both of them, and they didn't have AD in both of them, which was a, a big reason why they were, the Thunder were able to keep close, but the first game, I believe they shot 19 threes. So they played in – this was overtime, so they played 53 minutes, and they shot 19 threes. And that is not what we do in the modern NBA. The, we're, we're putting up 19 threes in the first quarter, you know. So it – but I, I really appreciated it because they weren't forcing shots. They, they saw they had mismatches down low. Um, you know, LeBron's been doing a lot of pull-up work uh, mid-range, so they always can find a better shot. And with Frank Vogel as coach, I happen to know Frank Vogel a little bit, being a Pacers fan. So, you know, this is this is a coach that he's he when he was with the Pacers, he wasn't one the team to put up a million shots, a million threes a game. And you can see that influence on this Lakers team. He is for getting to the rim or getting as close to the rim as possible. And if you got an open three, take it. But it just makes your offense a lot more efficient when you're just not forcing up threes all the time, especially considering this roster doesn't just have a bunch of great three-point shooters on it. You know, this is this is not the Bucks or some of these other teams we've talked about this year where there's just seven guys that can hit 40% from three. You know, these are there's a lot of good shot creators on this team, but they're not all good three point shooters. So they play to their strengths. Um, Schroeder is just a great like secondary ball handler off LeBron. I mean, we've we've seen him in OKC the past years. I think he's improved a lot since coming over from Atlanta. 
where, you know, he was the main guy in Atlanta. And I think that was maybe his problem. Not to say he was bad there, but he just wasn't exactly what you wanted. OKC, man, that little three-guard rotation they had last year really worked well. And now he's coming over to the Lakers, and he's playing really well off those those top two guys. Um, Harrell, who was we, we both thought was kind of an odd pickup in the offseason. It's like if you're going to spend money on anyone, it's kind of weird to – get a backup center, but I mean, he's been a great offensive creator for them off the bench. He obviously plays really well with LeBron. Um, I think Kuzma who, you know, I went off on Kuzma last year. We all know there's a clip out there, but I, I like the way Kuzma plays. I mean, he, he plays within himself. Now he's become a bet. He's become a better three point shooter. I mean, he's shooting 38% this year. So, pretty good uh he's he's good off the ball so i think he's a really nice guy to have next to lebron and marcus and, i'll say yeah i was about to say gasol who they don't need for offense i mean he is just he's just really not he's just an awful shooter now he had like one or two years where he was a good three-point shooter i i wish he was a little bit younger because i think he would have a nice role as like a stretch big, but he's just, it's not his game anymore. And uh, it wasn't last year with Toronto either, but he, they don't need much from him on offense. I mean, he's just, he's a good passer. Like his, his intelligence is what's what they really need. Like he's able to move the ball and obviously he's still a good defender. So he's a good guy to have out there. And me and you, I know both like Talon Horton Tucker, the Iowa State roster, man, it's it's becoming quite immense at this point. And it, it's a great year for Iowa State right now with Therese Halliburton going off in Sacramento. But um, And this was a guy I liked coming out of uh, Iowa State. I liked that the Lakers drafted him last year. And he was a second-round pick, which is a nice, nice uh, spot for him. But, I mean, that dude just goes to the rim. Like, he doesn't care. I mean, he's not even 20 yet. The dude just charges to the rim. He he almost plays like a veteran already. I mean, he just goes to the rim. It doesn't matter. And he's been he's been pretty good for them. He's shooting fifty five percent from two as a second year player. That's pretty impressive. So, I mean, this supporting cast, you know, it's it's not great, but it's 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 good enough, and it really fits those top two guys really well. <laughs> I mean, I just I can't make a case for any other team being the best team in the league. I just I really can't because the pieces fit around LeBron and AD so well. And AD for him is having a very down season, right? Like a lot of people were saying, you know, he could come in and win MVP. LeBron is just superhuman. Like this guy is coming in. He's playing 26 games. (laughs) He's played all 26 games. How? How has he not had load management already? Like he is fucking Superman. And he is having he is having a down season, Dylan Hughes. He is averaging about the same amount of points as last year. I'm pretty sure more rebounds and yes, two fewer assists. But 25, eight and eight while you're coasting half like for three quarters in a game, like that's pretty damn good. Like he can put up numbers in his sleep. And Schroeder to me, Schroeder and Harold to me, that's like a beautiful like second unit playoff destroying unit because. Both of them can create their own shots off the dribble. And Harold in particular, like, I again, I thought the fit was going to suck, right? I could not have been more wrong. He is such a good player next to 
you know, next to LeBron, next to like he'll play a lot next to AD, I think, and I think that'll be a good fit for him. But he is just such a good shot creator, and he's shooting sixty five percent from the field right now. <laughs> just no like advanced statistic and nothing. Sixty five percent from the field. And I just love the energy that he plays with. He is just such like, I'm going to get inside and you are not going to stop me. Like, I just love the shot distribution on the team. LeBron's averaging 25, 80 is 22, Schroeder is 14, Harrell is 13.5, Kuzma is 10, and he is doing that all off ball. Like, he is such a good mover off the ball. And like, I think this is by far his best year. I thought Kuzma was going to be Jeff Green 2.0. And with the way he cuts, there's there's no way I'd rather have Kuzma in a heartbeat. Now, current Jeff Green is still pretty damn good, I will say. But KCP, KCP is the sixth leading scorer. And I think that's the perfect spot for him. Like, all the guys that are still on the team from last year, they're bumped down a spot, right? Like, Caruso doesn't have to do much on offense. Caruso is, I'm going to say it, he's not this guy yet, but I could see him developing into it. I could see him being a, a Marcus Smart kind of player where he does all the little things. You know, he dives on the floor for loose balls. You know, he flops when you need another flop. Um, that was an unnecessary shot. But Caruso is shooting 47% from three this year. And like he's not, it's not like he's not shooting. He's shooting two a game. So if he can shoot 40% from three on like four attempts a game, you know, that's solid. And Marquise Morris, <laughs> his life is so easy right now. <laughs> All he has to do is play defense and shoot threes. And like, that's the thing about this roster, right? Like, I didn't even talk about, I love Marcus All. His passing, just like, <laughs> just him being able to initiate, like, not initiate but him being able to run an offense while lebron cuts i don't think lebron's ever played with a guy like that before that could set him up like that like i don't think he's been with a guy that could just set him up so easily and who is as smart as mark salt like maybe rondo but he wasn't gonna get let rondo like you know stand at the top of the key and let him hit him on a back cut he's cutting with for gasol off the ball so i you just can't talk me into this team not being uh the favorites for the championship like this team I'm not going to say has no holes but whatever holes it does have is very they're very small yeah and and for me it's really the balance that matters like I mean we saw last year and and you can call last year a fluke because the bubble and I don't think anyone's going to completely disagree with that because obviously the factors you typically have to deal with in the playoffs aren't there. You don't have to deal with the travel. You don't have to deal with the fans. And those two things are huge. So not to say that the Lakers wouldn't have great fan support, but I mean, traveling back and forth from LA to Miami, you know, there would, there would be, it would be a different series. So, but having, having all those other guys, that had to step up last year, I think is going to be huge this year because they, they know what to do now. Like you're not going to, you're not going to look at a guy like Kuzma and think, Oh, he's going to suck in the playoffs. Cause we saw last year. He didn't, I mean, he wasn't consistent throughout the whole time, but when, when they really needed him, he was there. And there were some, there were some playoff games where he was huge for them. So, you know, guys like that, I mean, Caruso was good last year. Morris, KCP had his moments. Uh, I think he's been better this year than he was in the playoffs last year. But, you know, and again, Harrell playing with an actual center on the floor will be nice because, I mean, he got killed by Jokic last year, which is to be expected. I mean, he's, what, 6'8"? You know, he's a very small center. And 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 
he's really in the perfect role coming off the bench where, and he's really thrived off his energy his whole career, but he doesn't have to be that defensive guy because he can play with Gasol or AD if necessary. Those other guys can guard the bigger centers if, if they need to. Um, so, I mean, all these guys are in such a great position. I already talked about Schroeder. He doesn't have to be the main guy. And he's just going to be a great secondary ball handle off of Braun. So all these role players that are there are in just the perfect spot to succeed. And, you know, like you mentioned, AD's down a little bit this year. But, I mean, he's still shooting freaking 77% at the rim. You know, like if that's a bad year for him, then they're, they're going to be fine. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I do want to point out that 80s free throw percentage is a little low from what I expect. He's shooting 70%. I am not concerned yet, but if like 50 games into the season, it's still 70%. And if in the playoffs, he's shooting 70%, then I'll be concerned. But LeBron, you know, LeBron's free throw percentage is always low, not low, but because 72 is fine, but still it's, you would want it to be a little higher. But this team to me just has no flaws. And one of the things that I saw, like, or I, I said it has no flaws earlier. They have very few flaws that I don't think I don't think any of them can be capitalized on. We saw them play the Nuggets earlier this week, right? Normally when I watch a game, I watch, you know, a half, right? Because I feel like a, a half can tell you a lot in terms of a team, you know, and if I watch four halves a week, or that's like basically two whole games. And again, that's four different halves, you know, tells you a lot. I watched the whole like Nuggets Lakers game right because it was close after three and the Nuggets led by a little bit at halftime even when the Nuggets led at halftime they were shutting Jokic the hell down like I'm gonna pull out that box score real quick but Jokic just couldn't get what he wanted like this is the first time all year that Jokic couldn't get what he wanted right he finished the game so that is the advanced stats Jokic finished the game six for 16 with 13 points and six assists. He hasn't had very many games like that in 35 minutes, right? Jokic has been playing phenomenal this year, but this team just has the ingredients to stop him and the other Nuggets. Now, if the other Nuggets were better, I think this probably would have been a different story. But, like, they just have the length and the speed and the athleticism and the strength to shut him down. Like, they have all four of those elements. There aren't very many teams that have all four of those elements. And... And they played defense on a string. They always had a guy shading Jokic in the paint. You know, Jokic is a, such a great passer. He's going to find guys, and they just have to hit shots. But I thought they did a really good – like, I still think the Lakers are Jokic's, you know. Jokic is one team he has to overcome. And I think that if he doesn't overcome – like, it's not damning if he doesn't overcome them because they're fucking great. But I do think that this is the one team that's fully equipped to stop Jokic and Kawhi and PG, which is saying something. I don't know about Steph still, but Steph doesn't have enough around him to, you know, compensate <laughs> for the Lakers not being able to shut him down. But what do you like? Do you agree with that statement that I feel like they're the best team to shut down PG, Kawhi and Jokic? Yeah. I mean, when you look at the rest of these teams in the West, like there, there's, there's flaws. Like we've already talked about Utah's lack of size outside of Gobert. So, and we, we know Gobert can't stop Jokic. So they're basically they're you know, I mean, I could see them competing with the Clippers, but the Lakers and Nuggets, no, 
Uh, Portland, like half their rosters injured at a, any given time. So no. And, you know, the Mavericks probably, probably no. They're just always the team I look at on the offensive side where if they can get it together offensively, it may not matter what happens on the other end. But yeah, I mean, if you look at all these other contenders out West, there's a lot of flaws. And again, that's why I think the Lakers are definitely the best team in the West at the very least, because they have the most complete roster. I'd say they have the best balance of size shooting that kind of defensive and offensive versatility. I mean, we, we, you know, we know every other team, what the problems are. Utah is size. Um, the Clippers is creation outside of their top two guys. They don't have a point guard, basically. And a lot of these other teams, it's injuries. Like, the Nuggets just don't have the depth, really, outside of Jokic. So, I mean, right now, to me, it looks like the Lakers are just kind of a wrecking ball, going to crush through the West. And there's a ton that can happen still. I mean, a team like the Nuggets is like a Bradley Beal trade away from, you know, changing a lot of the, these narratives. And, you know, Utah could get a big, you know, Thaddeus Young type. But there's still a lot to play out. But at this point, I mean, I think the Lakers are best suited to go against a bunch of different type of offensive and defensive issues and be able to get through them. Yeah, I think that the Lakers are, like, it's not even close. Like, the the three overtime games, let's face it, the Thunder and the Pistons are two of the three worst teams in the league. And the other is Minnesota. Or if you want to throw Washington in there. But those are... Okay, let's just do two of the four worst teams in the league. And they went to overtime with both of them. Right? That's not because the Lakers, you know, have some intrinsic flaw. That's because they're not trying. Like, even in the fourth quarter when they're trying, they're still, you know... They've given up enough of a lead where Lou Dort can, you know, hit clutch shots. Or Kendrick Williams can go off for 24 points. Right? But I just... I'm very... Not concerned, I'll say, about the Lakers. I think they're going to be absolutely fine in the playoffs. They're going to turn. They ha, they have earned the right to flip the switch. Like there are other teams, <laughs> the Nets, that have not earned that right at all to flip the switch because they've played together for two weeks, right? I think that the Lakers, they're my odds-on championship favorite right now, and I'm sure you would probably say the same. Like I think – so, Okay. So let, let me ask you about the three big East teams then, because let's, I am very doubtful about Boston's ability to make it out of the East. So I'll, I'll just ask you, rank them one through three in terms of how well you think that they could play the Lakers in the finals, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. How well do you think one through three, which team matches up best with the Lakers? Um, I would probably say Philly is the first because to me, Philly is the most complete. I think Philly might be the most complete team out West. And out obviously east, you mean <laughs> out East. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we're about to talk to him. So we can go more in depth with that, but having Embiid alone is a great place to start. As far as talking about going up against size down low. I mean, <laughs> if you want a guy, you go for Embiid. And then outside of Embiid, I mean, you have a ton of defense versatility. And again, I don't want to go too far because we're about to talk about them, but I would say Philly number one. And 
The Bucks number two simply because I just don't trust the Nets' defense at all. I mean, the Nets' defense, listen, they played – they played Philly. We watched it, or I, I don't know if you, how much you watched that, but, and, you know, they were, it was a not healthy Nets team. So obviously can't take too much away from it, but for God's sakes, they put Norvell Pell out there and he's the best rim protection they've had in a month. I mean, that's, that's how dire their situation is down low. And I mean, I've been, I've been ringing this bell ever since they got rid of Jared Allen and even really before that when DeAndre Jordan's on the floor, they are worthless defensively. And when they have to go up against size, if, if they make it to the finals, which I, I'm dubious of at the moment, if they're going to continue to play Jordan as much as they are, just based on those guys that are out east, I mean, they're going to get crushed by the Jokic and the AD types. And then, you know, the Bucks, we've had our rants about them too. If if they want to put Giannis as center, it changes a lot. But yeah, I I I put the Bucks ahead of the Nets just because of their defensive problems down low. I'm really I'm really starting to buy into the Bucks, but I I still don't think. Well, we're in the regular season. That's why you're buying into them. <laughs> but they're running Giannis. They're running uh, Middleton, Giannis pick and rolls, Dylan. You know, I I think that's yeah. an enticing development. And I think if they run that in the playoffs, I just I don't think there there's really anyone that can stop that personally. But I I just want to see a good finals matchup, and I think Milwaukee and Philly would provide it. I can't say the same for Brooklyn because let's face it, LeBron in the finals. <laughs> How many points do you think LeBron scores? Or let's just do Anthony Davis. How many points a game do you think AD averages against the Nets in the finals? Like 40? On the low end, yeah. Like, they can't stop him. Like, he is too dominant. Like, LeBron will score like 20 points a game and average 20 assists because Harrell and, Harrell and AD are scoring 60 points a game. Like, I don't know. I think the Lakers, to me... They're just, I they're my absolute favorite for the title right now. But I, you know, obviously things can change. You know, maybe the Nets get a uh, you know decent defensive player <laughs> on their roster. But I think that I'm optimistic that it'll be a good finals, and I, I'm optimistic that you know even if you know the Nuggets, if the Nuggets get another piece, then I I, I want to see that matchup too. And obviously the Clippers are still good. The league is so much better this year than like it has been in years past, but it's it doesn't matter because the Lakers are <laughs> like it doesn't matter because the Lakers are just so much better than everyone. I, I think it's kind of unfair, Dylan Hughes. I think it's kind of unfair. Should we break up the Lakers? You might have to, man. And and looking at the cleaning the glass little spreadsheet here, you got all the players listed out. You've got all their efficiencies and all that's very useful little chart. And listed at the bottom. This is what really scares me about the Lakers, okay? Let's say, you know, Schroeder suffers an injury, Kuzma. They need some depth to step up. Listen, you've got Quinn Cook and Alfonso McKinney, both with an effective field goal percentage of 150%. I mean, mother of God. And that is, listen, is it is it a combined nine minutes total? Yes. But listen, that that's some extreme efficiency that they haven't even tapped into yet. So... Just be on the lookout. Just be on the lookout for that. You know, I mean, it's crazy that they have two goats at the back of their bench, but let's move on to the team that employed the goat 
back in the 90s. So I, I figured you wanted to talk about the Chicago Bulls next. Is that correct? Or do you want to talk about the Sixers next? Um, I usually like saving the best for last for which in this case would be the Bulls. But we can go ahead and get to them. Yeah, because I, w- I want to talk about the Bulls. And I don't know why I'm jamming it in the middle, but this is my it's my team. So I am back on the Bulls bandwagon, everybody, even though they did not have the best week. Um, I did not read the Lakers record first, which I should have done. So the Bulls are 10 and 14. They're currently in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference, tied with the uh, – hold on, I have the standings pulled up. They are tied with the Miami Heat, who will soon um, probably move out of that 10th spot, if I had to guess. But – the Bulls had an up and down week. Literally, it was loss win, loss win. Um, they lost to the Magic 119 to 123 in a game where Vucevic scored over 40. They then beat the Magic in the second game of the home of the series, 118 to 92. They lost to the Washington Wizards. Um, not great. And then they beat the New Orleans Pelicans last night, 129 to 116. I don't I don't need to read the score for a Wizards game because every time you lose to the Wizards, it's bad. Um Dylan, though, there's so many different ways I can start with the Bulls. I love this team, but I feel like we got to start with Zach Levine. Levine is just playing out of his mind right now. He is just, he is tearing things up. He is, <laughs> he's destroying the league at this point. Um, He's, <laughs> his averages probably went up after last night. He's averaging 28, five and five on 50%, 51% from the field, almost 52, 42 and a half from three and 86 from the free throw line. That 86 needs to go to a 90 for it, you know, people to be impressed. But I, I told you I was going to give you a Zach Levine comp that you would like. I, I think I'm going to unveil it to you now. My comp for Zach Levine is Seattle Ray Allen. All right. Hmm. Here's why he could create for you off the bounce. But where he's ultimately best is moving off the ball as either a cutter or trying to get open for three. And he is just such an amazing cutter off the ball. Like, that is the thing that stands out to me about Zach Levine. Like, just watching him. And him and Thad have such a, you know, we'll talk about Thad, obviously, later, because I feel like we have to talk about Thad because I love the way he's playing for them. But... He just, they have such like an amazing chemistry where he just relocates off the ball off like a that'll drive. And it'll just be wide open from the three-point line. So first of all, how do you like the comp? And then how do you like how Zach Levine has been playing so far? I love that comp. And mostly I love it because I think within the next few years, Levine's going to be a very important contributor to a finals contender. I hate to say this, but I don't think he'll be in Chicago forever. I think at I know, some point, sad. at some point, there's going to be a team that picks him out of there. And, you know, if, if they didn't trade for Schroeder, I think he would have been awesome in L.A. I mean, he would have and obviously would have cost him more. But that that's the type of place he needs to be. He he's play if he can play off. And, hey, you want to talk about trades? Not that this, their defense would probably tank, but Denver, him and Jokic would be filthy together. But, like, that's the type of place he needs to be. Not to say he can't be a main creator, but I think if he's playing off a legitimate Hall of Fame type of creator where, as you mentioned, he can just play off the ball and do his thing and also create on his own when he wants, that that I think is his next step. Um, But, you know, we're talking about now. And right now, I mean, he's killing it. I mean, 60% 60 from two, that's what he's doing. The only reason that his percentage is down at 51 is because he's only shooting 42% from three. So, I mean, he is just killing it right now. And 
that game against the Pelicans last night, I mean, they dropped 42 points in the first quarter because I think he was five for five from three. And as a team, they were like nine of 10. And, you know, sadly, Thad had to ruin it with a, a little miss in the corner. But he was trying to have in on the fun. And I, I appreciated that he put that up. But, I mean, he has just been unstoppable. And, you know, we've seen this from him before. But I think he's he's getting more consistent now. Like, we've seen it. It's like it seems like almost every year at the beginning of the year, he's like the third best player in the East. And then he kind of just tapers off. But this Bulls team is a lot better than it's been in the past few years. And it's still very young. But these young guys that are around him are all very talented. And there's a lot of – there's actually some good defensive players on the team now, which which helps them. They're not, a, they're not a good defensive team, but they have some talent on defense now. So, you know, there's – there's a lot more going on around Levine, which I think is helping him uh, be even more efficient. But yeah, he he's been a freaking superstar, and it's it's been fun to watch. Yeah, whenever I do my uh, All Stars pod, he is easily an All Star. If you don't think he's an All Star, you don't know basketball. First of all, he's averaging 28 points a game. Second of all, like he is just again the efficiency. I told you the efficiency is Dylan, but he is just out of his mind, like efficiently, like he should not be. So how many, okay, I'm going to go back to the page. How many field goal attempts is he averaging? Because that is, hold on, 2021 Chicago Bulls. Let's see, field goal attempts, 19, 19 attempts a game. He's shooting 52% from the field. How often does that happen? Like he is just, you know, I love the way he's playing again. A lot of it is off ball. And I think that's why it would translate so well to a contender because you have to be, if you're going to be on a contender and cause let's face it, we both agree. He can't be the best player on the championship team, but I'm starting to think that if he's your second best player, you're in a damn good spot because he is explosive. This is legit. Like you can't watch this and not think it's legit. Like 25 games are technically only 24, but we're at the 25 game mark, basically 25 games into the season. You just, that's legit at this point. Like, and now teams are going to stop him. I'm curious to see what he does when teams try to stop him. But the off-ball movement is going to make it easier where he'll still probably get 25 a night, even if, like, you know, it does go down from 28. He did have 46 last night, and I think it was 27 a game before last night. Or he had 46 last night, I should say. He was so, like, dominant. And, again, you stated your issues with the New Orleans defense, and I know that was the first Pelicans game you'd watched in a good while, even though you subjected me to watch other Pelicans games because we've somehow watched the Pelicans every week and haven't had the Clippers once. Um, <laughs> but he was just flambing the Pelicans defense, and so was Kobe White. And we'll t- you love Kobe White, so we'll talk about Kobe White in a second. But I just love the way that Zach was playing. Like, he was just phenomenal in all offensive facets of the game. And really this whole season, like I caught a little bit of them before and I was, I was like, he jumped off the page, but this to me is really standing out. If I had one complaint and why I don't think he could be the first guy in a championship team, 5.5 free throw attempts a game, not really what you want, but he's shooting so many of his shots from outside that I can understand. I kind of wish he would go in there and force contact a little more, but at the same time, Again, shooting so efficiently, I can't really get mad at it. But anything else on Levine before we move on to other guys, Dylan? Well, you mentioned that guys are going to try to start stopping him. And, you know, I think he's capable of handling that because 
I think the reason why he's kind of tapered off in years past is because he gets more attention. And I think, and you kind of see the same thing with Devin Booker now where he's, he's taken that load as, as the guy that gets double teamed and gets all the defensive pressure. And, you know, after doing that for two or three years as, as the main guy in your team, I think he kind of just learned how to break out of it. And I think, you know, and again, Levine playing off ball a lot obviously helps that because if you have the ball in your hand for two seconds before putting a shot up, it's kind of hard to get shut down by a defense. But I think he's – I think the reason why this is probably going to hold up is because he's he's seen these looks for years now. And I think he's finally just built himself up offensively where he's able to handle that. And I'm looking at the field goal percentages, right? And I, I went back through the game log real quick because it's really easy to do this on Basketball Reference. Basketball Reference, we, we give cleaning the glass a lot of love, but Basketball Reference is just so good for what it is. And shout out to them. Um, but I was looking at the first 24 games last year and he was not this efficient, right? He was shooting 42% from the field and it was like 40% from three, which is still good. But like, you know, a, two assists or one assist less a game, one rebound less. It's like the impact is there, you know, averaging six points more a game. Basically he is just doing a lot better in every facet of the game. And 24 games is where things start to get like, cause we're all, we're a third of the way through the season now, actually 72 games. I think that this is sustainable. I don't think he's going to fall off. And yes, I will be very excited when he's not on the bulls because I love watching him play. But if I also Dylan, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but like, I, I think the bulls wouldn't be a bad Vooch destination. You know, I think the Bulls could use him. I think that him and Zach would play really well off each other. I don't think it would be a terrible idea for them to add another all-star. Well, see, this is a good transition for what I wanted to talk about because watching Daniel Gafford this week with with Wendell Carter being out again. And listen, if you've if you've known me for a few years, you know I love Wendell Carter. Like I was very high on him coming out of the draft. I'm not saying it's his fault, but I think at this point, I think Daniel Gafford's a better player. Just every when Wendell is out there, he just seems lost more often than not. And when Gafford's out there, and and I saw this last year with Gafford too. I, I've been impressed with Gafford his whole time in the league, really. And when Gafford's out there, he just does what he knows how to do, and he doesn't force anything. He plays within himself. And he's even kind of adding a jumper too. I mean, I think I think Gafford at this stage is probably better than Carter. And long term, that may not hold up, but in Chicago, it might. And Wendell Carter definitely could see himself out of Chicago by the trade deadline or maybe by the end of the season because, I mean, it's just not working out for him there. And I can tell you who I definitely rather have over Gafford, and that is Nikola Vucevic. So if if they want to parlay, you know, you mentioned prepod like an auto porter and Wendell Carter type of deal, which I think money wise kind of works out almost perfectly. So I, I mean that I think that that would be a really nice trade for both sides because you know the the magic want to suck. And they're doing a good job of it. But having Vucevic on their roster makes it harder to suck. And if you get Carter, who is a young, cheap guy, and Otto Porter, who's not cheap, but, you know, it's it's never bad to have a good shooter on the roster. 
Um, and he misses half the games anyway, so he wouldn't help that much. But, you know, I, I think that would be a nice deal for both sides. And, I mean, this is the year where, you know, you're not going to win, but the Bulls are probably going to make the playoffs. So, you know, you might as well throw in a couple chips that you don't really even care about that much on Vucevic because, you know, why the hell not? With, with Levine playing this well, putting him and a guy like Vucevic together with, with all those other young guys around, I think would make, make a really fun, like seventh or eighth seed in the East. So I, I tried the trade real quick, the Vucevic and Carter or the, the Porter and Carter jr. Deal for Vucevic doesn't work because Porter jr. Makes more than Nikola Vucevic, which is crazy. Um, I feel like we haven't seen Otto Porter jr. On a basketball court in years at this point, but if you add just one Al Farouk Aminu, to the to the trade it works so i think it would be stupid not to do it if you're the bulls if if it's on the table because vooch is a damn good player but it's free him man he needs to get out of orlando for his sake but i'm just ready to get rid of wendell too because and this was last year right and i can't imagine what kind of indelible damage (laughs) that jim boylan did to the to the young players, right? Like, I, he was such a clown. And just, like, everybody hated his guts. And look at what's happening this year, right? Valentine is balling out. Larry Markinen is balling out, right? That's not a coincidence. And, yes, we didn't really watch much of Markinen this week. We only got him for a half. But 19 points a game. Markinen sucked last year. And look at Thad Young. Look at... Saturansky. All these guys are better now that Voiland's gone. I just don't think we can underestimate how like a truly awful coach can just tear up your the development of your team. But at the same time, Carter hasn't been able to stay healthy now, and it's been three years. And you gotta cut bait at some time. And as much as it sucks, again, going back to my last year example, the Pacers played a game against the Bulls in early November last year, in 2019. And they were starting TJ Leaf at center. The Pacers were really banged up. And the Pacers won. And Wendell Carter only had 20 and 10 with TJ Leaf at center. And I was like, I kind of filed it away in my head. I was like, this seems like a red flag. <laughs> because with this dude out, you should be having 30 points at least. Right? Like with Sabonis out, with Turner out, with, you know, more, uh, they were starting Leaf at center, and that was, like, their only option. I was kind of concerned then, but I, I was kind of like a file it away in your head for later moment. I do think that you could salvage Wendell Carter, but it's going to take some time and some patience, and the Bulls, the Bulls are either going to have a lot of patience by trading Levine or not going to have any by trading for an all-star. So I think that, Wendell, one way or another, will probably find himself out of the future franchise plans. Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, you could say Boylan's gone, so Donovan could fix Carter. But Donovan freaking started Sabonis at the four in OKC, you know. So I'm not sure he's the he's the best savior for young young bigs in this league, sadly. Um, and as far as cutting bait again, like whether you agree with me that Gafford's better or not, you can't deny that Gafford's been good. So if you have a good replacement already, I mean, getting rid of young guys is not hard. They don't make a lot of money. You always sell the upside. And, you know, he's 
you're not going to get what you would have on draft night when he was, you know, the sixth pick or whatever he was. But I mean, there's going to be a team out there that that's going to love love to have the chance to revive a guy like that who has a great skill set. I mean, when he was at Duke, he was really good. He was a great defensive and offensive player. He showed a lot of versatility on both ends. And that's why I fell in love with him as a prospect. And I still think if he ends up in the right place, he's going to he's going to be good. So, you know, my my patience for him doing so in Chicago is running pretty thin, but I still have hope that he can find a home elsewhere and, and uh, figure it out. Because look, the, the Bulls, and part of the reason why I stopped being a fan of them was the Bulls under guard packs had just like no direction whatsoever. And they just, like last offseason, right? We gave Thad a three-year, $39 million contract. Why? Right? Like he's been good for us this year, no doubt. I'm saying us again, which is, you know, problematic. And I'll probably, my heart will be broken sooner rather than later. But like, you know, we were giving franchise, like we were giving guys like that big money contracts when it didn't make sense. Our team wasn't anywhere near contention, right? And we just had no direction. And yes, now that is balling out this year, which I don't think is a coincidence. You and I both kind of, I, I know I'm part of the Thad fan club and I, I suspect you are too, but I didn't think he'd fallen off from like, you know, all defense level in 2019 that quickly. And, but the team was just so poorly constructed and they let Boylan hang around for too long. Like they went too long without firing him. And it was just sick because like, you were wasting so much young talent, right? And I'm so glad Kobe only had one year under Boylan because he would probably be like, young point guards are one of the hardest positions to develop, right? And he would have had such a hard time if he was learning for like unlearning two years worth of Boylan habits. And I'm, I'm just glad he didn't have to subject, subject himself to that. But I know you love Kobe White. What did you see this week that you like from Kobe White? Well, I saw him hit eight threes last night. That's what I saw. And, I mean, listen, he's Kemba Walker. I've been saying it for two years, and nothing's changed. He, I love watching him because he is just so – he's like the bounciest player I've ever seen that doesn't dunk. I mean, he, he just – he plays like he's just so happy and full of energy. Like, he's just so quick and shifty. I love watching him and like, it's even fun watching him shoot threes. He's just so it's just his, the energy to him and and his fundamentals are so strong. And, you know, obviously as we've seen with Kemba, like those type of guys can be kind of, kind of chunk. They can be Chucky. If that's, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but like, you know, they, they're volume shooters. They'll put shots up. So their efficiency is not going to be great, but I mean, Kobe's hitting 37% of his threes this year. And, you know, he hasn't been great at the rim. But, I mean, this is a guy that's that you want to be a good outside shooter and attack some closeouts, make some passes. And, you know, it'd be nice if he could be better at the rim. But, again, he's 20 years old. He's still unlearning some of those boiling habits and – I mean, it's going to take him time to find his game. Like, if you look back at Kemba, it took him, like, four years to become what he is. He was really bad, basically. He was basically a bad player. He was horribly inefficient. I mean, he was shooting 40% from the field, like, every year. 
which from a guard, it's like you can find 150 guys that will give you 40% from the field. Look at Cole Anthony right now. You know, there's a ton of Cole Anthony's out there. And that's what Kemba was for a few years. And I think Kobe's already ahead of where Kemba was at this stage. So I still feel great about that comp. And I still feel great about Kobe, man. Like I, I just love watching him. I love his intensity. Like he's kind of like Colin Sexton where he's not going to be the perfect defensive player, but his, his intensity alone helps him on that end. And again, you know, you don't, you don't expect defense out of him, but I mean, with his shooting alone, watching him and Levine knock down threes last night was really fun. Oh, absolutely. I was, I just went on his basketball reference page just to look at like his basic stats. Did you know that Kobe White was 6'5? I did not know he was that tall. He feels more like 6'3. I mean, which is still like good size for a point guard. Yes. Rookie point guards often shoot like, I mean, he's in his second year. He is not going to shoot well a good percentage from the floor if you're at or around 40 percent you know in your rookie year terry rogier wasn't over 40 percent, i think until this year <laughs> so point guards just generally aren't going to be efficient players but if they can put the ball in the basket for you and be a threat to score you have to guard them harder than you guard other players so it makes sense that they have lower, lower shooting percentages like they're not going to be like Kawhi, right Kawhi can always just muscle his way to the rim Kobe White can't do that. Kobe White's not Kawhi. So, yes, it makes sense that Kobe's percentage isn't going to be great. And, again, he's a rookie guard. or not. I keep saying rookie. He's a second-year guard. Of course he's not going to know how to finish. But if he can learn how to finish, he's already averaging 15. Is he averaging 15 points again this year? Let me let me double-check because I don't want to. Yeah, he's averaging 15 and 5, right? If he can bump that up to 18 and 7 or, you know – like 18 and eight, something like that. He's going to be in the league for the next 10 years because that kind of skill set is valuable. Like we see, you know, like Devonte Graham is going to be at least a mid-level guy for the rest of his career because he has that particular skill. And I think that, you know, it's a valuable skill. And I just love the way that he plays. Again, bounty is the perfect way to put it because he just like, he's one of those guys that he dribbles up the floor. He looks like he's kind of jumping with it when he's dribbling. I, I thought that was the perfect description for it. And he just, you know, high energy guy. I can't wait for it to translate more and unlearning the boiling habits. It's going to be hard, but you know, I hope that Donovan's actually a good coach. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait to see, but I think that not having boiling is already a huge improvement. Yeah, and, you know, Donovan has had some good guards down there in OKC, so hopefully he picks something up and can give it to to White and even Levine um, because, as we know, Jim Boylan didn't really have expertise on anything except putting time clocks in the office. So, you know, getting rid of him uh, was was a addition by subtraction. Yeah, Boylan is just a clown. Like – that dude should not have been like NBA head coach. It sounds like everyone hated him before he was the head coach. Like, listen, just a general rule of thumb. Don't hire people to coach basketball players who people despise. That's a good rule of thumb. I would say, um, <laughs> but I'm glad that Boylan's gone because now the young guys will be out of there. Let's talk about Thad. I brought up Thad in passing, like, you know, a couple 
whenever we did the jazz, I think that was two weeks ago at this point, or was that last week? I, I don't remember it. I lose track of time, but I brought up Thad to the jazz, you know, like maybe a, a, a placeholder slash a guy that could fix the problems. Thad is playing out of his goddamn mind and they're probably going to, they're going to probably be able to trade something for him. Like it's not going to be like, Oh, you know, we're just going to buy him out because nobody wants him. I think people are going to want that. He's playing out of his mind. What if, what have you seen from Thad that you've liked so far? You know what I've seen is I've seen Thad young. I've seen the Thad young that I know and love, man. I mean, that dude, I, when he was with the Pacers, I just loved him. Like, you know, he obviously has his shortcomings. He's, he's kind of undersized and he can't shoot. Not a great rebounder. But, I mean, he's he's in a great situation right now. Thanks to injuries, he's playing the backup five. And, I mean, offensively, he's a great backup five because he, he can do a lot. He can, he can pass the ball, set screens. He can shoot a little bit. He's good around the rim. But defensively, I mean, we know he's made his name on the defensive end. So versatile. He's... He's given Giannis trouble in the past. He's given LeBron trouble. Like he's just a guy that that can match up with any strong ball handler. And playing at the five, I mean, you're going to go up up against a bunch of strong dudes with the ball. So, I mean, he's he's been good for them for sure. And when some of these guys come back from injury, I'm sure they'll probably have to trade him because there's only so many guys you can play at a time, unfortunately. But I mean, for now he's been filling in perfectly and it's I'm glad to see it because I've I want Thad to stay until he's I want him to pull a Tom Brady and just stay until he's like 45 because he's just a fun guy to have around the league he's just so fundamentally sound and no matter what team he goes to he always is a positive addition so I I'm happy to see him playing well so two things that stand out about Thad to me that you didn't already say first of all okay you know the lowest, according to cleaning the glass, do you know the lowest steal percentage of Thad Young's career? Just like, do you want to guess? Uh, I'll say 1.3. 1.7. That is the lowest of his career. This man always can get steals no matter the situation. And he's not like a one-trick steal pony either. Like, he just can, he can strip it from you. He'll jump passing lanes. He can do it all. Like, he is such a smart defensive player. And shocking, shocking Dylan Hughes, that smart defensive player, that translates to the offensive end. He is diming the hell out of the ball right now. He is just setting up. Like, there was one play against the Wizards where he used Alex Len to screen. Someone was cutting. I can't remember who. It might have been Zach. But someone was cutting from the wing. And Thad waited until the cutter's man was screened off by Alex Len to throw the pass. And it was a wide-open layup. And it was, like, it was such a beautiful play where Thad just used – Alex Len is an, another screener. And it's like those kind of things, right? Like, I'm not shocked at all. He's averaging four assists a game. I'm not surprised at all. Like, he is such a good, like, smart player on defense. It's not shocking that when he has the ball in his hands a lot. I'm going to look at the usage, actually, because I bet the usage is definitely a career high. Usage rate, 19.2%. That's not a career high, but, you know, since he was in Brooklyn, it's a career high. That's pretty good. Like 19.2 usage percentage and 22.9% assist percentage, which is <laughs> his previous career high was in uh, Indiana in 1819 at 12.1%. So he is just being ridiculous passing the ball. Right? Or, sorry, his previous career high was in Brooklyn in 14, 
15 with 14.2. But listen, he's just passing the hell out of the ball and he and Zach have such great chemistry and I love to see it. And I wish he would play with the bulls forever. And I know neither of them will probably be on the bulls come that won't be on the bulls this time next month. And I wouldn't guess that Levine is much longer for the bulls himself, but I, I don't know. I love the way he's playing and he has earned, you know, the right to win, like be on a championship team. Like he's playing on a championship role player level right now, which again, I'm not surprised by. I love Thad Young. I think he's phenomenal. And, you know, I want, again, I want him to stay on the Bulls because him and Zach have such great chemistry, but I just, I love the way that he's playing and any, any contender could use him. Um, anything else on the Bulls you want to touch on before we move on to our final team? Well, just looking at all these ages, I am surprised that Garrett Temple's almost 35. I mean, I know he's been around a while, but I would guess like 31 maybe. 35, I did not see. I mean, he's played for half the league at this point, so I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. But um, that that was surprising for me. Um, and then Pat Williams, I think he's oh, yeah. really good. So – the offense is still fairly raw, but I mean, he's been efficient. Like, I, I don't know exactly what kind of shots he's going to consistently make. He kind of, he kind of does a bit of everything. I mean, he's been good from three. He's been good mid range around the rim, like for a rookie. And obviously he's big, so that helps, but for a rookie, he's very efficient. And, but, but where I'm more intrigued is the defense. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a young forward that's so good at denying entry passes. Like he, his pick and roll coverage, especially has been really freaking good. It it seems like every time he's guarding the pick and roll roll man, he's always swatting those passes down. And a lot of bigs takes a long time to kind of get that down. And he's just coming to to the league with it down. So that's going to be great. And I'm anticipating him being a big steel guy, his career too. So I'm excited to see what he can be. And that's kind of part of the reason why I hope Levine sticks around for a while. Cause I kind of want to see a player like Levine surrounded by all these scrappy young guys, because I mean, it's just watching them this week. It's been fun. Yeah. This is, this is why I keep you around Dylan, because you remind me that I, I love Patrick Williams. He is such a fun watch. Like he, you know, I feel like I say this all the time, but like just really like nose for the ball, but he's such a good cutter too. Like watching him, he has such like good instincts on when to cut. And as you can't teach that you can't teach how to cut ever. Like it's such a, a good skill to have at such a young age. And he's only 19. Well, let's check when exactly he was born. He might be young for his class because he was born in August, 2001. So he's not turning 20 till <laughs> he's not turning 20 till almost next year. You are going to get a long, good career from this. Like if he keeps this up, cause he's got a really high IQ. He is going to be a good player for a long time. And his floater is really good. His floater is ridiculously good for a rookie. Everything about him. Like he's not a manual quickly good, but he's pretty, he's pretty close to good. So pretty close to that. I would say, but I don't know. I love him. I think that, you know, He's going to be a perfect 3-4 for the future of the NBA. And the Bulls didn't get a steal at four because it's the fourth pick. But in terms of the rest of the draft, this is one of the spots where you could say, I'm not I'm not mad at them for picking him over Halliburton. I, I'll say that. Like, I know, I know you're a big Halliburton guy, but I feel like this pick and Okoro weren't, like, 
you could justify those over Halliburton. The rest of them, eh. But Williams and Okoro, I think that those two are okay over over Halliburton personally. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with a, a versatile 3-4. I mean, I love Halliburton, but you can get a good shooting guard. And, of course, I could go off on Halliburton. I mean, he... Who did they play this week that we watched? Our next team, the Philadelphia 76 Oh, yeah. I mean, he had a great game, and I was excited. So I don't want to go off the deep end with Halliburton. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Williams, I'm telling you, man. Like, the f- I watched the Bulls early in the season. They, I think they played the Pacers or something, and he just wasn't very good offensively. Like, I didn't really – I was like, oh, he's going to be – like, and I knew he was going to be raw coming in. I'm like, oh, yeah. He's he's probably not going to be very good this year, but he's turned it around, man. Like he's he's pretty quickly figured it out on both ends. So I, I'm really excited to watch him. Yeah, I'm excited to watch him grow. And between him and Kobe, like their their last two draft classes have been phenomenal. And let's just say they don't make the playoffs, right? Like let's just say they fall out of the 10th seed, which they probably will. And they're like the 12th, the 12th seed. You still have pretty good odds at a lottery pick. And even if you have a later lottery pick this year, you're going to end up with a damn good player. Like this draft class is going to be loaded. All right. This is the most like prepped for the draft I've been in a while. Just like reading up on the guys and watching the guys in like the G league, like the G league ignite team, this draft is going to be loaded. So the bulls are in a great spot right now, which is not something I thought I'd say like coming into this season. I thought I was going to say the bulls are in a terrible position, but I love the spot that they're in because you either make the play in tournament and you make great progress and you end up with like the 12th pick or you, you end up with like the sixth or seventh pick again and you get a stud. So I'm really excited to see what happens with the bulls in the future, but let's move on to our last team. And the Sixers intrigue me. I'll say, so the Sixers are currently 18 and seven. They're first in the Eastern conference. They had a short week and they started out by getting blown out by the, uh, dameless trailblazers. 121, 101 to 20, 105 to 121. Excuse me. They then beat, the KD list and the Kyrie list, Brooklyn Nets, 124 to 108. And then they beat the um, hot Sacramento Kings, 119 to 111. So um, I feel like, you know, to cap off the episode, we could be a little short, but I feel like the Sixers are a completely different team this year. And I, I just love the way that the Sixers look this year. How do you feel about the new, like the new old look Sixers, I'll say? Well, I feel like this is the first time in the Simmons and Bede era where everything kind of just fits together now. I think they've done a really nice job putting this roster together. And, you know, I had my problems with the Richardson for Curry trade, but Curry has been awesome in that starting lineup. He, he's been the more dynamic Redick that they've needed for a few years now. And so – Obviously, Simmons, you know, Simmons and Embiid are the two staples, and Embiid is, he should be the MVP. Like, at this point, I think he's the MVP. Just for how well they've played and how well he's individually played, I mean, he's just been just nuts. He is, he's putting up insane numbers every single night, and he still jacks too many threes. At least he makes a decent clip now, but, you know, when you're a seven foot two beast, you just sit in the post. So that's, that's one problem I have, but obviously, you know, you try to get spacing where you can. Um, You know what? I I love watching them because a lot of their transition offense 
is Simmons running up the floor as fast as possible, getting to the paint, and then just kicking out to the corner to either Harris, Curry, or Danny Green. It seems like that happens so often because there's always someone open and Simmons gets down to the floor or gets down to the other side of the floor with the ball. And he knows someone's in the corner open and he's almost always right. And I mean, that that's something they can just consistently get because again, they have really nice shooting. And I think the biggest thing that's opened things up for their offense this year is Tobias Harris is finally in the correct role and shocker. It's because he's playing the four. I said this last year. Listen, I have I have watched Tobias Harris a pretty good amount on every team he's played, and I have done a lot of research on his game. He has been awful as a three in his career and great as a four. Look, look at the teams. When he was with Orlando, he played the three, sucked, at least efficiency-wise. He went to Detroit, was pretty good as the four. Good enough to get traded to the Clippers for a pretty good package. Obviously, that was, you know, the Blake Griffin trade. But he gets to the Clippers, plays the best year and a half or whatever of his career with the Clippers at the four. Was awesome there. Gets to Philly, and, you know, it's been a little bit of an up-and-down ride because they've had a bunch of different rosters in just a short time that he's been there. But last year, they tried to play Embiid and Horford together and push Harris down to the three, and Harris wasn't as good. And I said last year, as much as I liked their team on paper, I putting Harris at the three was always going to be a problem, and it ended up being a problem. He just didn't – he didn't know what to do. He never really has at the three. And now he's at the four, and he looks so much more comfortable. And I think part of it is that he's, like – he's getting less catch and shoot. I mean, he can make catch and shoot shots, but – I think he likes to handle a little bit. That's why he was good in uh, with the Clippers because he was kind of their main ball handler. And so, I mean, he's shooting 44% from three this year and 55% from two. So, I mean, he's he's been so good. And he – I think Rivers has kind of recognized he likes to kind of lead things. So, when Embiid and Simmons go off the floor, he keeps Harris out there. He likes playing Harris with that second unit and kind of letting him run things. And I think it's it's helping their team a lot with just flow. Um, so, you know, Danny Green is obviously not the shooter he used to be, but he has his games. I think he was like four for eight against the Nets, one of those games. He can hit he can hit threes when they need him to, but he's still I think still think his best asset is just his defense, which isn't what it used to be either, but it's fine. Uh, They don't rely on him too much. Shake Milton has been interesting because he's been pretty bad from three, but I still love watching him because he's just a downhill player. If you watch him, he is never, he's never like a side to side guy. He's not going to shake you up. He just comes off a screen and is going to shake you up. He's not going to shake you up. I don't know how he got that nickname, but he he's he's not a guy that's – he's not Kyrie. You know, he's not going to shake you out of your shoes. But he just goes downhill, and whether he can get to the rim or not, he's going to put up a shot. And and it, I like watching him because he doesn't mess around. You know, he just – he knows what he wants. He wants to put the ball in the basket. 
and he does it. I mean, he's not hitting the threes, but he's shooting 50% on twos, so that's not not too bad. Um, and as a backup point guard, I think he's done a good job. Dwight Howard has carried over the Lakers stuff. You know, he's just – he's fitting in. And that's what he should have been doing for a long time. He He's finally recognized he's not a star, and he just needs to be a star in his role. And that's what he's been. I mean, he's – He's hanging out towards the rim. He's playing defense, getting rebounds, putting, you know, dunks up. That's what he's good at. And he's been he's been good in this role. And I was kind of worried when they picked him up that he would go back to his old ways and that LeBron was holding him down last year or whatever. But he's he's been good. So I've been happy to see that. And I mean, <laughs> I love Matisse Thibel because he just puts threes up and plays his ass off on defense. Like that's that's his game. And it doesn't matter who he goes up against either. Like he, he got Harden a few times and he doesn't back down. Like Harden tried to back him down in the post and he just blocked a shot. You know, like he doesn't care who it is. He's, he's putting on a defensive show. So I really love the makeup of this team with the roster. And there's a lot, a lot of guys I like rooting for. So it's, it was fun watching them this week. I will shut down De'Aaron Fox in the game against the Kings and De'Aaron Fox is an all-star this year. Like I am comfortable saying it. Like he is one of the 24 best players, like, you know, so far in the season and he just shut him down. Right. Like it was no contest. And so we watched, so the 76ers played the Pacers the week we did the Pacers and they ran a zone. Cause Embiid was out that game with Simmons and Tybal up top. And they should run that way more often because no team is going to be able to dribble past that ever, right? Like, that's just going to create so many transition opportunities. And Seth Curry, to me, he is having a... This is the best Seth Curry I think will ever play. Like, he is just playing phenomenal. He's playing out of his mind right now. He's shooting 51% from three. He's only shooting... It's okay, how many per game is he shooting? Let me go back up. He's shooting... For a game, he should probably bump that up to like five or six at this point. But he's just going to be open every time he shoots it. Like, because Embiid is drawing so much trouble, right? Like, he's... Embiid is averaging 29 a game. (laughs) He's shooting 85% from the free throw line on 11 attempts a game. Like, this man is just unstoppable at this point. I feel like the team is getting him better looks watching them. I feel like, you know, Simmons isn't shooting as much this year, which is probably for the best. He's only... Simmons is only shooting... 9.7 9.7 a game and 0.3 of those are three. So he's really shooting 9.4 shots a game, which is probably what you want from Simmons. He is just playing out of his mind on both ends. Tobias, you said it perfectly about Tobias playing. The four has been a godsend for him, especially getting to play off the ball more. Like I saw 91% of his threes have been assisted this year. Like that's, that's exactly what you want. Right. And then 30, only 36% of his twos have been assisted. So it's kind of a good mix for him. He's shooting a lot of long twos, but I mean, you know, he's making them. <laughs> so you can't really complain about it. I think everyone understands their roles better. And it's crazy, Dylan. You get guys that people have to guard from behind the three-point line, and suddenly the team makes more sense. I, I don't know how – it just – it boggles the mind, Dylan Hughes. Like, how how does that make sense? You know, I I don't understand this concept of spacing. Like, what? why do teams guard shooters? You know, I, it just doesn't make sense, you know, especially when you have guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, you know, who who live inside the paint. Which, why do you need three-point shooters? Why can't you just do everything inside the paint? <laughs> 
Hey, shockingly, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest things you can learn in life is balance is key. And I think the Sixers have finally found that balance because having those three guys that are slotted in between Embiid and Simmons has, has really been working out nice. And their bench is good too. Like they don't even play Tyrese Maxey every game, but he, they could, you know. And like having having a, a rookie guard that that could play but doesn't, I mean that's that's very valuable. Um, Corkmaz has his moments, you know. Like they have guys that aren't even playing that much that they could play. So I like what they have, man. I I really do, and I hope I hope for the sake of them that this works out in the playoffs too, because. I mean, the Simmons MB talk has been loud for years now. And I think up to this point, it's been justified. And, you know, we'll have to see what, what happens. But this is this is like this is their window, I'd say, for, for really proving it. Because this this is the team. Like this this is the perfect balanced team on both sides of the ball, uh, both sides of the court. So this, this is their moment. Like the Brooklyn has weaknesses. I don't want to say the Bucks have weaknesses because on the floor they don't, but we've discussed at length. That on the sidelines they do, baby. Yeah. The coaching decisions are what really matters in the playoffs. And the Bucks don't necessarily have the the best uh, leader out there on, on the sidelines. So I think this is this is kind of the year. I mean, we saw last year, like no one expected Miami to make the finals. And they did. And, you know, obviously they had a, a great coach. So that turns out does help to have a good coach. So, you know, I, I, I still think the East is pretty open. Like, I don't really care who's on the Nets or who's on the Bucks. I, I think the Sixers have a great chance of, of giving those teams a run. So I'm excited. The, the season is still very long. I mean, we're, we still have a long ways to go. There's still trades to be made. Although I, I'd be surprised if either of those top three make any more, but I guess you never know. But I mean, this, like I said, I, I think this is the year for Philly to really give it a go. So, okay. So do you, do you agree that there's a very clearly divide, defined top three in the East and that's Philly, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee. Do, do you agree with that sentiment? Oh yeah. Boston is, I mean, listen, I was happy they got Tristan Thompson, but their depth is horrendous and Kemba Walker has not been good this year. So there there's major concerns with them. And obviously all the other teams, you know, the Pacers aren't healthy, but even when they're healthy, I have a tough time seeing them cracking into that tier. Go check out uh, the trade pot I did with Caleb. If you want to hear how I can think Boston can improve their firepower hint, it's from a guard from the Houston Rockets. That's, that's all I'll say who may or may not have played for the Pacers that just gave it away. But I think that they're they're too short on firepower to to compensate for their lack of defense, but yeah, Embiid to me is just he is playing up to his potential right now. Like this is this is insane what he's doing. He's only shooting seventeen field goal. He's averaging seventeen field goal attempts a game. That's ridiculous, Dylan. It's ridiculous. Twenty nine, eleven, two, three assists, one point four steals, one point three blocks. I do think Simmons right now. If I wasn't going to give the defensive player of the year to Miles, which I'm very inclined to do, my top three for defensive player of the year right now, based on what I've seen, is Miles, AD, and Ben Simmons. Like, I think that those are the very clear top three. 
And I know the Lakers have had a good defense when AD's been out, but and we didn't really talk about AD much because we didn't we don't need to because we know what we're gonna we'll talk about them a lot in the playoffs probably. But Simmons <laughs> the Trailblazers did not have Damian Lillard last Thursday. And they blew Dylan, <laughs> they blew the 76ers out. And it's just like that kind of impact, right? Simmons is just so versatile on defense. You can't replicate that, even with Thibel, right? Thibel is one of the best young defenders in the league. I this is this is my hot take about Matisse Thibel. I think he's the he is the spiritual successor to Tony Allen. I think he's Tony Allen's spiritual successor in every single way. And that includes really not probably being able to play him on crunch time. But man, I think that you can't replace what Ben Simmons can do out there. It's one of one at this point, unique, just off ball and on ball. Like he's so dominant on both facets of defense that like people are always like, oh, Embiid's a defensive player because the defense falls apart when Embiid's off the floor. I, I'm going to go look at the numbers real quick, but I, I would doubt that now that Dwight Howard's there, I would think that they probably don't fall off in the same way because Dwight is still one of the best, you know, rim protectors in the league. So the defense, okay, still five points better when the numbers don't bear out on cleaning the glass that Simmons is more impactful on the defensive end. But I, I just, your eyes can't help but notice that when you're watching the Sixers. I, do you agree, Dylan Hughes? Well, see, every time I watch the Sixers, I'm like, I think if Simmons wanted to drop out and join the NFL right now as a defensive back, I think he would immediately become one of the best in the league. Like Cam Chancellor used to be that big, big, tall defensive back that really scared wide receivers. I think Simmons could be that because this dude picks off so many passes and just takes them down for dunks. It's like every game I expect it like three times. And I'm almost surprised if he doesn't do it. He's just, he has such a good eye for the ball. And obviously on the ball, he's just an absolute menace. Like his size and length and quickness and IQ. I mean, he's like the perfect, he's really like the perfect guy to defend anyone one through four, basically in the league. Like he's, he's got the build and the smarts to, to guard almost anyone. And again, having him in Thibel on the floor, I'm looking at the cleaning the glass. So they have like a defensive area and they have, you know, block percentage and steal percentage. So Simmons among point guards, 97 percentile in block percentage, 86 in steal percentage. Thibel is 100 percent in both among wings, which not surprising, but it's just funny that he's going to be like that for his whole career. And then Embiid, 63rd percentile blocks, 83 in steals. I mean, like this team is just full of absolute elite defenders. And, and again, with the, with the balance they have on offense, like there's, they, they're all, their upside is very, very high. You, you ready for a lineup? Cause I went to the lineup stage for the Sixers. You ready for a lineup that, oh, actually that doesn't even have Simmons in it. Never mind. It's Milton, Teibel, Korkmaz, Harrison, Howard. They're the second most used lineup and they're giving up 90.6 points per hundred in that 121 possessions. <laughs> 
<laughs> I told you, I told you that that Tobias Harris second unit is good, man. They're now to be fair, they are scoring at an abysmal 106.6 points per hour. That's like a Knicks pace, Dylan. But hey, defense, when your defense is that good, who cares? That's an excellent point. We're we're in, we're in the business of net rating, okay? That's what we're in the business of. <laughs> Incredibly fair. I'm gonna look up the Simmons and uh Tybal lineups because I'm sure that that is absolutely astonishing. So let's see. Simmons at point guard and Tybal at shooting guard. <laughs> okay, there that's not a good sample. But generally speaking, you know, it's 40 possessions with uh 89.5 defensive rating. So not bad. Not not 89.5 is obviously very good. But just Okay, this lineup, I don't know how this has a bad defensive rating as it does, but it's Simmons, Tybal, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid, and it's 152.9. I don't know how that lineup could possibly be that bad. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, small sample size, I guess, but I don't know. I love this team, and I think this team, to me, I'm not going to say it's the finals favorite because the East is too wide open. Like, the top of the East is too wide open, and I'd say... I'd say one through three in the West or one through three in the East is better than two through four in the West. I think is that controversial? I I don't think it's very controversial. So I don't, I think the Sixers have an excellent chance to get to the finals. And you said that you think they have the best chance of winning, of beating the Lakers. It isn't surprising because they're so complete. I want to see it in the playoffs too, but I think this team is very well-rounded and I'm excited to see how they round into form, but Dylan, I think we've exhausted everything we want to talk about. This is, this is another great episode as always um, from one young soul to another. All right. I think, I think I found what I want to do this week. All right. I'm going to go home and I'm going to look up the allergies you have. All right. I'm going to make sure they're, they're mild allergies, but if you're allergic to cats, I'm going to plant a cat in your home. If you're allergic to dogs, I'm going to plant a dog in your home. You know, make sure you bust out in hives, you know, nothing, nothing deadly. You know, I'm not trying to commit murder here, but I'm going to find your allergies and I'm, I'm going to place a dog in your house. Just plain and simple, you know, get you hype or even worse. I'm just going to spring. No, you know, what? it's more evil. I'm going to sprinkle a bag of dog hair around your house. That's, that's even more evil. That's even more evil. <laughs> Listen, man, I am I am all for minor inconveniences to promote my stuff. And if you want to continue to do that for the rest of your life, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> Listen, I'm not asking you for a lot. Plus, Dylan's making it where you don't even have to buy the book. You can just watch it on his YouTube channel. It's that easy. Come on now. You're, you're, listen, I'm, I'm just going to say it. You're an idiot if you don't buy this book, okay? It's very it's very informative, and Dylan's a great writer. So buy the book. Subscribe to his newsletter, too, Heavy Pockets. You know, Dylan is the only person I know who understands finance. So, you know, shout out to him. He explained the stock market thing to me so where I could understand it, where I wasn't just like, ha-ha, losers. Because um, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about the stock market. But Dylan comes up with a lot of great articles for that. So subscribe to that newsletter. Um Go check out the other stuff on the Running Hook Podcast Network. Linsanity, the football season is over, but now they're pivoting to college basketball. I believe on the Zach's podcast, I said college football, which is funny because that's definitely not what he's pivoting to in February. So <laughs> <laughs> listen, we, we all flub, right? 
I, I, Zach wasn't a very good co-host. I'm throwing him under the bus. Speaking of Zach, Circle City Cinema, Zach and I are doing WandaVision every week. We'll be recording, we'll be recording with a special guest this week, um, my friend Christian Logan. Sounds like so. Go check that out. It's one of JD's, JD and my longest friends in college. Um, JD and Zach and Bryce will be back with the Battleground next week, I believe. And then Triple Option Pass, you know, February... February through August is a tough time for college football podcasts, but they'll come out with great stuff, you know, like a couple times a month. So go check them out. And Dylan Hughes, thank you so much for joining me for another great episode. Thank you, buddy. And you know what? Now the football's over, we can pivot to everyone's second favorite sport, golf. So we got big stuff coming up. Players championship. We've got the masters again coming up in April. Just a beautiful time to be a golf fan, man. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> go ch- go uh, check out Dylan Hughes's future golf podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.